0: I V M. On this episode of Pesa Vesa, it's a wealth creation special. My guest is a veteran of the mutual fund industry with more than twenty-five years working across such large mutual funds like Franklin, Templeton, Fidelity, and many more. He is Suraj Kelly, who is now a mentor and retirement specialist with Audium Financial Services. We're going to talk about his 3 c theory of wealth creation. We're going to talk about retirement planning. We're going to talk about a lot of other stuff. And watch out for the specific advice that he has to give you. All of that coming up next on this episode of Pesa Vesa. Folks, welcome to Pesa Vesa. I'm your host anupam Gupta, B50 on Twitter. And on today's episode, I have a veteran. The mutual fund industry, life insurance and also distribution services. So he's seen a lot of financial products. And when I say veteran, guys, believe me, he's been in this for a long time, right? more than 25 years. He's worked across many mutual funds, OK, from Franklin Templeton to Fidelity, you know, right from the early days of the mutual fund industry in India. Yeah, So that's more than 25 years. So he's seen the entire industry grow. And in his last job, he was a group president, sales and marketing at UTI Mutual Fund. And I'm really honored. To have a veteran of such high caliber with me, Suraj Kelly, who is now a mentor and retirement specialist with Autium Financial Services, Private Limited, a firm specializing in retirement planning. We'll get to that. Why retirement planning of all the things? Suraj, sir, welcome to Paisa Thank you so much for taking the time to do this recording. I want to start with this really amazing thing that I learned during our conversation, which is that a lot of your friends, you know, people in the industry also, veterans, acknowledge you as the father of the SIP. Okay, in the we all SIP. Sab and thanks to this great campaign of mutual funds, SIP has now become a very large amount. So, you are actually the father of the SIP, as people call you. And I think as even I have a fair idea. So, welcome to the show. Let's start from that story. Okay, and then we'll build to your background, what you've done, and where you've reached so far. Welcome to Baisa uh,
1: Thank you very much, uh, Anupam. Uh, you know, I really appreciate the kind words. You thank know, you. and... Uh, But, you know, it's a very interesting story. In 1996, uh, when I joined this industry, I joined uh, Franklin Templeton. Uh, Those were the days when closed-ended funds uh, were the order of the day. And nobody really looked at uh, open-ended funds. And that was also when
0: it it, it used to be Templeton asset management. Absolutely. I I think the merger had not
1: happened. Absolutely. Really long back. Yes. And uh, interestingly, SIP also was not, you know, so popular those days. And uh, in fact, I was just sitting one day on my computer and doing some maths. And the maths was very interesting. Uh, Those days, PPF. Would offer about twelve percent. Wow! And if you were to invest, <laughs> let's say thousand rupees every month for thirty years in your, PPF, in PPF, at three sixty thousand is your savings, and at twelve uh, percent, it would grow closer to about twenty five lakhs. And compound. And compound. So that's the way it would really grow. And uh, but if you did the maths on the Sensex, which at that point in time had delivered closer to about eighteen percent, correct. I was shocked. You know, I just saw that that thousand rupees every month, thirty years, three sixty thousand grows to a crore. Wow. And crore in those days was a large number, not that it's a small number today. <laughs> no, it's a big number. And I just thought that why do Indians don't save on a regular basis into the stock markets for wealth creation? And I decided to make that as my mission. And I'm very delighted today that the industry sees close to 8000 crores. Of course, it's also disappointing because if you take 130 crore people hmm. and just 8000 crores of SIP, I think, you know, we have a long, long way to go.
0: Long, long way to go. I want you to tell our listeners where all you've worked because I really want to emphasize the deep experience that you have across the mutual fund industry. So just for our listeners, can you just walk us through the various phases of which all mutual funds you
1: have joined, you know, starting from Templeton? Sure, but maybe a little before that, I started with <laughs> HDFC, my oh, career uh, okay. on the credit side. So the housing finance The housing finance right. company, that was a long stint. Right. And uh, after that, I moved into Templeton. So, I worked for almost seven years with Templeton. So, the first shift
0: as such was from home finance, which at that time was also a booming thing, right? Absolutely. Because organized loans for buying a house in the 80s was not existent at all. Absolutely. If it was, there was probably a PSU bank or something. So, you actually saw one very big financial product make its way into the market. And then you switch to mutual funds.
1: Yeah. In fact, uh, I would say that if you, in hindsight, any part of the financial services you wear, you would do very well. So banking grew significantly, as you know, after that. Correct. And so did all capital market and capital market related entities. Yes, of course. So from Templeton, I moved on to MetLife on the insurance side. And the logic was that the Indian stock market didn't go anywhere between 96 to 2003. I almost lost hope. (laughs) I must be honest (laughs) here. and but luckily for me you know i was back in the industry with fidelity in 2006 hmm. i worked there for several years and from there on i moved to uti mutual fund right so that's been my stint as far as the industry is concerned so that's
0: such a fascinating background that you've got uh, you know over such a long period of time and we know the stock markets are choppy i mean they've 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 gone up they've gone down we had the small not small, actually, when you look at it, 2003 to 2008, the Sensex went from 3000 to 21,000. And then 2008, I think from from then to about 2013, it didn't really go anywhere. And then, boom, you actually saw the Sensex double from 21 to 41 where we are today. Given how the Sensex moves, you know, and now that we've come to a stage where SIP, uh, SIP flows are so stable, in your view, how have investing habits changed at the ground level, at the retail level?
1: Well, Anupam, my honest answer is I think we are still a long way to go in terms of our investment habits. So you will really be tested when the markets have a sharp correction. And in the last six years, we haven't really seen that kind of a correction in the market. Mm. My personal belief is that market returns and losses are very lumpy. And only those investors who learn to navigate, you know, this kind of volatility. Hmm. So imagine uh, even in my case, you know, when I started in 96, my SIPs, after four years, you know, I was sitting on almost a 20% uh, CAGR loss on my funds. And but I had the faith. Maybe I am lying today when <laughs> I had the faith that the money invested wasn't too much. You basically and got the tech boom,
0: but then after that, you absolutely, had the full. So absolutely. On, on a
1: net basis, you're saying you were actually down. Down, absolutely. In fact, every single investment since 96 to, let's say, 2000 end was in the negative. And that's tough to watch. Yeah, that's four years. You know, it's yeah. not a short period of time. Yeah. But so inherently my view is that Indian investors have not got tested in terms of volatility. The flows in SIPs have really taken off in the last five to six years. Mm. And only if, you know, the flows continue, should the market correct 35% from here, I would say that the Indian investors and their savings habits have evolved.
0: It's interesting, right? Because this nine eight eight nine thousand crores per month that's coming in via SIB has not been tested. That's your you know, that's that's your contention, which is also true to a large extent. We've not seen that kind of drawdown. So, now I want to get into this very interesting blog, uh, this, uh, this very interesting blog post that you've written on your blog, okay, guys. And if you want to know, uh, Suraj's blog is actually surajkeleer.wordpress.com. Suraj, I read this very interesting theory that you've got, you called it the three seed theory of wealth creation i found it really fascinating okay so before we go into the break let's go into detail on your three C theory concept so that all our listeners can benefit from your framework
1: so you know it was just uh, really a reflection on my own learnings for the last three decades and uh, i thought if i had all this knowledge that i have in investing today and i was starting my career what would i be doing And I came to this conclusion that, you know, I can capture this whole thought in this three seed theory. So the first seed obviously is your profession, you know, because you have to make money somewhere. And I believe with all the big changes that we are seeing in technology and how jobs are getting redundant. Mm. I think investing in yourself and treating yourself as one seed that has to grow to a large tree, Mm. I think is very important. So the first seed is your profession. So I always tell people that only if you do well, you will have adequate amount of savings. Now interestingly, what do you do with your savings is a big question mark. And many of us tend to, you know, take very conservative approaches to it. So my view is that yes, you know, you may want to the services of experts. So the second step is to, you know, look at let's say mutual funds as the seed, you know, where you say, Okay, I'll take the benefit of all the experts in the industry, and then, you know, start saving with a longer term view in point. So the point here again is that seed needs to grow to a tree. Yep. Right, So many of us, you know, cut it off very quickly. In fact, we don't even let it be a sapling. We keep watching it every day. You know, is my tree really growing? Hmm. Is my seed doing well? You know, and that I think is a disaster in the market.
0: Do you actually see this with people that you meet, people that are your clients? What what are the typical habits out here? So typically, you know,
1: for example, they invest and at the end of the month, at least they'll watch their NAV Hmm. and the NAV will be down 10% or it could be up 10% and they keep reacting to it. And that's not the way the tree is going to germinate, you know, so you have to let the seed, you know, nurture and give it time. So the second seed is, you know, take the benefit of equity funds and multiply your wealth through them. But more importantly, I believe each individual can also look at investing directly in stocks. Okay. And that's the third seed. Very and the reason I say that is that you look at a lot of people who have generated wealth. They have been able to do so because they got some great stocks at great prices hmm. and they held on for a long period of time. And when you are young, you know, if you can just start seeding a little bit in stocks as well. Hmm. So I think that's a phase of learning. So not every one of us may be able to plant the third you know seed yeah. but my view is if you get these three seeds right you know then your life is brilliant because one, you're doing well in your profession. Second, you have the services of the experts to manage your portfolio. And maybe half the portfolio you're managing yourself through direct equity. So that's what I wrote in that blog, right. which is the th- 3 seed yeah. theory for wealth creation. So I want to just
0: differentiate between the second and the third. The second is, is you know, today a very convenient way of investing. I remember if you wanted to start an SIP back in 1996 or even in, in 2000 or I don't know, even before this entire ad, ad, the Aadhaar thing came through, there were a lot of forms to fill, a lot of hoops to jump through, you know. Now it's become quite easy. So I, I get that investing via the SIP route is just a very, you know, I think it's called low friction way of investing in the markets. So I just want two tips from you, specifically on the second seed and the third seed. What kind of a framework or what kind of an approach should you have for a investing in mutual funds okay and b investing in direct equity
1: yeah i think anupam that's a great question and i'm yes. glad that you asked it because uh, many times when you look at mutual funds you know you believe you can buy anything and you'll make money and answer is no mm. so i would say that many investors can choose to invest in index funds but why start with index funds you know, I think it's a better thought to say, okay, can I really beat the indices? Mm. And if you fail to do so, maybe then you revert to indices, right? Uh, so so my view is that ideally, you know, you should be taking a little bit risk initially in your life because anyway, the amounts you're investing is very small. And I would recommend actually mid and small caps to start with. You know, very contrary to what most people believe. It is contrary yeah. uh, because people believe get used to the volatility of the market. Yeah. And I'll give you the worst of periods, 2008-9. Right. The large cap indices dropped 60 percent. So by being in large cap, did you really escape the volatility? The answer is no. Mid and small dropped 70 percent. So it's okay. Or if you lost 60 versus 70, <laughs> 70. doesn't really make a difference. Huh. So my view is that can you compound at a higher rate? That should be the goal while you are investing. Similarly, when you come to stocks, the framework has to be like, you know, I'm going to own those companies. So the idea is that, you know, try to buy good quality companies. And if I were to give one metric, you know, which I have used very successfully in my investing career, mm. it is the return on capital employed or return on equity, you know, so these are the frameworks which I really use. So always stick with quality, don't buy on a tip, mm. you know, just go and look at some of the numbers, is this company generating an adequate amount of returns? And if you do that, then the only risk you're left is the pricing. Maybe you bought it too expensive, but right. till you bought quality, I think you'll be better off. So if you're starting in equity, buy quality companies.
0: Great. What's the homework required out here? You know, if if I am someone who's convinced with what you say, um, I need to ask you two questions. First is what is the homework required? And can you give me some advice or some tips on the quality of advice that I give? Because you just mentioned don't take tips. Okay. So... Mutual funds, I can understand, you know, today there is a vast universe, you know, of, uh, of websites and a lot of apps that help you probably select. Now, I'm not sure how good or bad they are, but I think you, you can figure out your way through that so stocks is a different thing so in in your view what's the kind of homework that i need to do here
1: so even on the stock side you know i think there are some beautiful websites so one of the things one of the websites i like is called the motley fool huh,
0: of you know course, which yeah. really
1: is a brilliant site on how do you really go about building a long term equity portfolio hmm. unfortunately in india most of us are very focused on trading so <laughs> we tend to do more of technical short term analysis hey. and we don't really go into the fundamentals of the businesses So my sense is there's enough information out there. And maybe if you start focusing on some of them, most importantly, build a framework. Don't start by just saying, I'm going to cast a portfolio Hmm. and go ahead and do that. That I think is risky. Maybe start with a little higher number of stocks initially so that you learn. And I think then you'll be good to go. I don't think that's such a big problem.
0: Yeah. Would you think that a few basic tips just for starting off, because these things also get refined, right? You start with a certain framework. You find maybe this is not the right framework and you kind of tweak it over the years. But if I were to say, you know, First, would we see, like you said, would be choose good ROC companies. Okay. That's right. Could you help us just understand that if I'm building a portfolio, is there any ideal number? Uh, and how should I allocate between them? Should it be equal or what? And, you know, we'll just leave it there then.
1: Well, my sense is there's no ideal number out there, but I can give you some, you know, broader direction there. So if you're picking up large cap companies, I think you're okay to buy 10 to 15. You don't have to get too diversified because these companies have already established successful and are doing well. But if you decide to go down the small cap path, then i think you need about 40 to 50 i don't think so you can start with lesser number sure. to begin with over time as you become you know a little bit of an expert chances are this number will get pruned down if not for anything else you see some stocks do well and that yeah. become a concentrated part of your portfolio so i think that's a good framework to start with
0: and what about mutual funds last question mutual funds what do we do with them you know because like you said we have this habit. Year, year day-end, end, day end me any kya hai, month-end me any kya hai, SIP kaisa chal hai mera, stuff like that. But tell us some good habits that we can, you know, at least stick with our mutual funds or what to do about them.
1: So, the biggest risk in mutual funds is that you tend to buy very similar kinds of funds. So, though you actually have bought four funds, you're essentially, the portfolio is very similar because there are strong portfolio overlaps. Hmm. So, just to give an example, if you were to buy two Sensex-oriented index funds, Now, whether you buy two or one, it doesn't matter because essentially you're buying the same portfolio. So my sense is when you create your portfolio, just ensure the portfolio overlaps are minimal, right? So maybe pick one large cap, pick one mid cap and couple of small caps. That's a great way to construct a portfolio. You'll see very little overlaps uh, when you do that. So I think that's the risk you run as far as mutual funds are concerned.
0: That's a good diversification. How long should you make this run? And should you, you know, you should resist the temptation to just seek. Okay, in in one month, my 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 fund hasn't done well, so should I sell? So you know, what's a good approach there?
1: Well, my recommendation is if you have any time frame which is less than ten years, don't consider equity at all. Wow. I don't say five and seven years are, I think, too short term in my view. So the longer you go, and the reason for that is very simple. Wealth is only created when money compounds. And money compounding needs few time frames. So, for example, if you let your money grow, you know, double it three times, you get an 8x return. But when you do it four times, it is 16x. And five times is 32x. Now, obviously, every doubling cycle is four to five years. Mm. So if you genuinely want to create wealth, you will need a 20-25 year time frame and let it compound. So don't exit, you know, the mutual funds that you're investing into.
0: And that's some really seriously good advice and tips from our guest, Suraj Kelly. And at this point of time, we take a break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with Suraj's specialty, retirement planning. and welcome back on this wealth creation special with suraj kelly who is a mentor and a retirement specialist with our team financial services on the first part of this episode we spoke about the three seed theory for wealth creation and also specific advice on how to create a mutual fund portfolio and how to choose stocks in this part of our episode we're going to talk about suraj's specialty. sir you know if i look at the mutual fund industry. They started with this entire mutual fund campaign. People started SIPs. Then you had PMS, you had AF. So you had so many financial products and so many areas to choose from. Why retirement you do retirement? Of all the things, retirement somehow seems to be some, you know, for, for someone like me, you know, probably in his late 40s, 50s and has to now figure out okay, after 65, what what should I do? So I want to start with that. There's some background as to why retirement planning and why you think it's so important that you actually set up a business a uh,
1: Well, that's uh, another interesting question. And, you know, just to be, you know, reflecting on why I started with retirement. uh, So India is a young country. So it's very obvious for every one of us to focus on retirement savings and savings, you know, for the longer term. So it's very natural for somebody to look at the young audience, tell them, do an SIP, start saving and grow your wealth. But equally important is if you look at the size of our country the population which is over 45 years, 50 years, and as time goes by, you're going to have a very sizable chunk of population which is, you know, going to retire. And my observation is that most of us create our portfolios, you know, in a, in a manner like creating a house which is built at different points in time because your money flows happen at different points in time. So as a result, as you're closer to retirement, your portfolio is a big mess. Mm. So most of the portfolios I've reviewed would have 50 to 60 investments, You know, they don't even have an idea about, you know, how much would be in equity, how much in debt. And that started to concern me a lot. But more importantly, you know, as I researched on this subject, you know, I think there are three aspects of investing which really came out. And that's the reason I decided to really focus on retirement as a subject. The first is there is a very silent revolution going on called longevity. So we are going to live much longer than probably our parents. And you see that your parents have lived much longer than your grandparents, so, so just to give you another statistic here, 50% of children born today in the U.S. are expected to live till 107 years. 107? 107. 107.
0: Unimaginable. Right? Unimaginable right so, now. Maybe so, the first
1: thing I realize is that most of us underestimate the number of years we are going to live. And my simple answer there is, you know, add another 10, 15 years to it. Wow. You no, know, That's the way you should think about it. So, if you say 80 is what you're going to live till, I think you should plan till 95. So that's the starting point of the journey. The second is we don't even know how much are we going to spend on a monthly basis on retirement. And that, again, is a very interesting factor because on one hand, certain expenses go down. You don't need to buy too many shoes and clothes because you're not going going to office. Maybe your commute time goes down. But what about medical expenses? Right. What about, you know, travel and leisure? So, so it's very difficult to estimate, you know, 10 years before that event, 15 years before the event, that how much money would I really need on retirement? And I believe you should do a zero-based budgeting. Start with a number and refine it as you go along. you know. And I think you'll get a good feel and control sure. of what those numbers are all about. The third is, you know, you obviously invest this money in some financial assets and you make some inherent assumptions about what kind of returns you're going to generate, mm. So, so my generation, last 20 years, you know, has seen equities deliver, let's say, 15%. Had I bought real estate, we made a lot of money in it as well, despite the current slowdown. If you bought gold, you made money in that as well. Gold has rallied from 3,000 rupees for 10 grams to now about 39,000 rupees 40,000. 10 yeah. grams. So, so wherever you invested, you made money. So, my basic belief is investment returns are going to be far lower over the next two decades And if you start building plans for a shorter period of time with over-exaggerated assumptions and no clue of your expenses, you know, God help you. Wow. Yeah,
0: that's dangerous. Okay, so now let's get into specific advice for our listeners, okay? Because you've given these three factors, I would kind of call them guiding posts that keep these three things in mind. You know, you're going to be living longer, the kind of investments that you do, the returns that you're building into your focus, all that. Let's get into the specific advice across age groups, okay? Because obviously, as you age, your plan should change, okay? So, I I don't know if you have a differentiation, but the differentiation that I typically follow is someone who's starting his career to a point where someone has a family, okay? Uh, To the point where you're closer to retirement, you know, where you're kind of... And I think this roughly matches like 25 years and maybe 35, 40 years and then maybe at 50, 55. So, I don't know if you have this age classification. We can, you know, just help our listeners with that journey.
1: Yeah, so though every situation is unique, but, uh, you know, I think it's a great classification to use because that's how people think about it. So, So let's assume if you're in your 20s. Yes. Now nobody in their twenties is thinking about retirement, right? Absolutely. They are thinking about where do they get the next Apple phone from the (laughs) latest launch which is happening or the best shoe that they want. They want experiences. They are trying to really live their life uh, to the fullest. So my view is that when you're in your twenties, you know, one of the things you should also do is experiment a little bit with investing. Learn to, you know, understand, you know, you know, how do you invest your money? What are the choices you have, how do they perform and if you can start saving something towards retirement I think that's an added bonus Kya hai? you're so, like you know you're not I've, I would think you'd say 80% save iPhone mat kari do, don't go on holiday don't do this don't do
0: that was so good to hear someone have a very practical and very level-headed view towards it I mean Why, you know, I have to ask you, why are you so chilled out about this? Well, the reason
1: I'm so chilled is that I think uh, their parents have worked very hard (laughs) for them. So they don't really have that kind of a challenge what you and I would have faced when we started our career. So there's a large chunk of population out there which is doing reasonably okay. And uh, so I would say in your 20s, you know, start learning the basics. That's the way I think about it. Now, when you are 30s, you know, again, retirement will still not be on top of your agenda because likelihood is you get married, you have young children. And today, the biggest cost is not retirement in your mind, but it is sending your children to IB schools because that's what most of the young parents want. They want the best of education. Uh, You just look at the stats in terms of the number of students going to the US for studying and it costs 50 lakh rupees a year you know, whichever course you're doing. Easy you know, two so, crores for four years. Yeah. If and you're doing an undergrad, then it's a, you and know, everybody is is a going to un-
0: undergrad these days. Absolutely. Yeah. So,
1: so I think at that point in time, you know, you're likely to, you know, start, you know, building your corpus for building, you know, for meeting your children's education, wedding. So today people want to do destination wedding. So a lot of spends, you know, have come through in that generation. So thirties is the age when you're occupied with your kids. The real, you know, work starts at around 40s.
0: When your income also becomes meaningful. So
1: when first time you get a back pain after playing some cricket, you know, you start realizing you're no longer that young. You know, that's how you start to really sink in. That's how reality comes to you. And uh, I think that's the time you should seriously think Hmm. that, you know, what kind of lifestyle you're likely to lead. And you may not get great answers, but, you know, as you reflect over that decade, Mm. I think you will get better answers to it. So I would say a genuinely good retirement plan, of course, starts at 20, 30s. That's great. That's not going to happen. But 40s, Mm. if you delay that, then I think you'll get too delayed as well. So so that's important. And I would say that in your 50s, uh, retire all your obligations as much as possible. So pay off your mortgage if you have one. Uh, You know, build up an emergency fund, especially for your medical expenses and ensure that, you know, you have enough money to ensure that your kids are going to the best of colleges. And after you have set aside that money, Hmm. you start really building your, you know, you know how much is left for your retirement. Hmm. And uh, my view is that two things which can really transform retirement is. Don't retire.
0: <laughs> Keep working. Yeah. Keep
1: working. We do it at you your pace. to you enjoy what
0: you're doing. I mean, obviously. Yeah, of, obviously. Or find something where you, which, 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 which which occupies your time.
1: Yeah. Isn't exactly
0: your 18-hour-a-day job.
1: But That's something right. that you enjoy doing. Am I right in that? Yeah, absolutely. So, a yeah. thumb rule there which I use is earn your expenses. Hmm. So, typically, when you're doing well, you have far a larger amount of savings which is getting accumulated. But if you decide that every year I'm going to earn my expenses then I think that longevity issue will also take care of itself.
0: And bare minimum expenses. Like Absolutely. maybe, you know, you have eating, grocery, vegetables and stuff like that. bare minimum. If 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 some income can meet that, then that's a good place to be. Absolutely. Okay. So, so I want to now get into asset allocations across these, you know, people, uh, these age groups, not people, these age groups obviously your advice to a 20 25 year old would be very different from that of a 40 45 year old let's just briefly go into what kind of asset allocation would you tell each of these guys to do
1: okay so so if you have a good financial support system and you are young right then i would say you can be even 100% in equities but if you don't and you have some responsibilities then i think building an emergency fund you know is important before you set course for investing so i would say uh, aggressive asset allocation in the initial days it will not hurt you because you know you're going to generate a lot of income so even if you go wrong mm. i think you can course correct when you're younger and obviously you know over time the, one of the big biases that will set into you is that when i retire i must be 100% debt and i think that too is a trap mm. so my view is that at any given point in time you know maybe 20 to 30% in equities is must because even when you retire at 60 And you'll need some money at the age of 80. Now, that's genuinely long-term money. Mm. So, I would say that starting from 100-0, you know, dropping down to, let's say, 70-30. 70 in favor of debt. Mm. That's really the growth path for your asset allocation. That's the path a good allocation is all about. As in
0: reversing it through the lifetime of your career, through your age, you start with maybe 80-20 equity debt. And over a period of time, you maybe get it down to maybe 40 or 30 equity and 60 or 70 debt. That
1: would be... Well, you know, it's not really, you know, I I cannot put a number at which age you should be what sure, sure, because markets are very dynamic. So suddenly you'll find one year market is so bad that suddenly you find that everything is in debt, you know, because markets have corrected. So I think they play a lot of havoc with your asset allocation at that point in time. But conceptually, till you are in both the buckets, you know, not too far away from what's an ideal Hmm. and you will be able to sense that because what can you really digest when markets move? I think that's where the answer is. Okay. Now, I want to talk about big commitments. Um,
0: Maybe your view on buying a house. with A huge decision for all of us. I know that in the last 5-10 years, there's this massive change among the young guys, maybe the millennials who, so to say, who now have this very strong standard that they they don't want to buy a house. So I want your views on these very big, very lumpy, you know, financial decisions, commitments that come your way. Could be a house. uh, Could be something as ugly as a layoff okay, which again has become a a reality, could be something as, you know, at the age of 40, I want to become an entrepreneur, okay? I just want you to give a nice approach towards these kind of situations. What would you think is a good way to tackle them when they happen? How you can plan for them? And what should be the approach?
1: So, you know, put very simply, you know, if you create an emergency fund, and the way I think about it is that whenever a crisis hits you, you know, you need to be able to tide over. So if you have money to do that, then it's very easy. So just take an example. You have a large mortgage and you have a layoff. Now that's a disaster, it's right? A big because disaster. you have to pay so much of money. But, you know, if you are prepared saying that including my EMIs and my home expenses, I've already kept six months in the bank. Now you got a six-month time period to go search for a job and get to a new place. And it won't hurt you even if such a layoff were to happen. Hmm. So I don't see any substitute but to, you know, building a emergency fund, especially if you are in that situation. When should you make this choice in the sense that you
0: should have this in the back of your mind that you should always at any given point of time have at least six months expenses and six months e- e- EMI okay, or or rent because, you know, if you're not lucky enough to stay with your parents' house or something of that sort, you're either paying EMI or you're paying rent. Okay. So as a thumb rule, do you think it's a good idea, you know, to always keep that much somewhere?
1: Yeah. So the best question you can ask yourself is that how many months can you survive if you have no cash flow coming in? Tough question, right. but it is a real yeah, question. Yeah, but if you just ask that question, you'll you'll know how deep in trouble you are, you know, for that reason. So if your answer is, yeah, I think I can last a year, I think you're in good shape. If the answer is, no, I can't last even a year, then one of the simple things you can do is, and I follow this concept called the 10% rule, mm. that whatever your take-home salary is there, take away 10% and just start building your corpus. And 10% genuinely does not hurt. Yep. You know, I've done it in the most stressful of times in my own career, and it has given me, you know, great relief over the next couple of years. But now, once you start doing 10%, in a couple of years, you would have three months of, you know, expenses in place. So, yeah. so you now suddenly start feeling much stronger. Yeah. And then that starts to compound over time, right? So, so, what will happen is, it becomes a way of life. Yeah. So, I would say that if you start building the simple habits, uh, you know, at the start of your career, chances are you will have a good financial life as well.
0: Great place to start the career. Where should this emergency fund or this corpus go? Yeah, obviously shouldn't go into a mutual uh to an to a stock
1: or to an equity mutual fund, I guess you know leave it in your savings account that's good enough
0: so <laughs> <laughs> way, you know, i thought you'll say liquid fund or FDO somewhere yaar yeah, dekho
1: liquid fund ka bhi bhagwan hai, hai, right 6% jaga, 4% kama rahe 2000 ka lo, how crucial is that 2000 rupees and by the way you know 10000 rupees of interest earned on savings yeah. is tax free uh, correct right so leave it in savings yeah
0: but not in a cooperative bank or something huh?
1: yeah yeah <laughs> be cautious about which bank you save in, of course yeah
0: okay folks uh, we are at the last part of our show uh, sir tell us about the work that you do what services do you offer and how can our listeners reach out to you let's all well, about
1: that. the simplest way to reach me is uh, you know log on to www.ortiumfin.com that's and, you spell uh,
0: O-R-T-I-U-M
1: yeah, dot com. Sure. Right. And I think you can, you know, reach out very easily through that. And
0: what all do you offer? I mean, if some, you know, if our, if our listeners go to your site or, you know, what, what specific services do you offer out there? I mean, there is mentoring, which I think is absolutely fantastic. It's a very valuable service. Someone like you with that kind of deep experience, my God, you can really, you know, you can really make a difference. So, just, you know, just a few things about that.
1: Well, I think most importantly, we want to give you frameworks you know and and because i feel that retirement you know is a great framework to begin with because imagine if you can take care of your retirement you would have taken care of everything along the path right so so i think the whole focus is to help people understand their own finances and then you know invest as they want so most importantly you know think about it uh, from a conceptual framework you know in terms of what is really required at that point in time uh, if you have too many surpluses, then, you know, I think how do you invest your money, right? That becomes really the important framework. And if you have shortfalls, then how do you save that money and where you should be investing? Mm. That becomes fairly important. So we just keep it very simple. We don't really overcomplicate it and try to, you know, give people a sense of comfort. Look, it's life. I think life will go on pretty well.
0: I always get get scared when I go to a nutritionist or when I go to a doctor and he'll tell me boss mithai mithai ban, ye khana ban, wo khana do you have you know you'll tell me that listen okay you're doing 50 percent expenditure no you have to do 90 percent savings so do you do you have that approach are you you know flexible you sound like a very chilled out guy
1: well I don't have any such you know qualms <laughs> about you know you know a preachy way of saying that, ye aise. Uh, yeah. you know my I think the role here is to just be your friend right And, you know, be a, you know, somebody who wants to be with you right through your life, right? And once you decide to do that, then Mm -hmm. what happens is you get enough opportunities where even if you can give your gyan and convince the guy that, (laughs) I think, or tell somebody that, look, you are really going too far in one direction. So, so typically look at, let's say, asset allocation we talked about Mm. The risk you run is not about the, just the asset allocation, but also where that money stays invested. Hmm. Now, imagine you have a 70 30 asset allocation, 30% equity, 70 debt, but equity is in stock. Now, that's a disaster. Yeah. right? You can run into deep trouble. Or yeah. you have to PMS or AF. I want you to come back. Can give us one episode on that. But just continue
0: the line of thought because I was actually going to ask you exactly this because what's happened in the last years, probably since 2017 when the markets were at a peak, you know, this entire thing of PMS, AIF has opened up. A lot of h have gone there, okay, for whatever reason. I'm not judging good, bad, whatever. I'm sure there are great PMSs out there. I'm I'm, I'm sure there are great AIFs out there. But I remember once, you know, when I met you and we really spoken at length, you spoke about simplicity. हो, हो you, you believe that, right? So, you know, I wanted to I want to end this episode on this concept that you have of simplicity that I would assume is part of the services that you offer.
1: Yeah, so let's build a equity portfolio in the next two minutes, huh. right? So yes, you yeah. want to allocate 30% into equities. Now, yeah. whoever is in the industry will tell you market is made up of a large cap, mid cap and small cap. Correct. Now large cap may, you know, I think it's going to be difficult in the current context to beat indices for any active funds. Not that it cannot be done, but I would say it is difficult or it's difficult a priority a priority to pick a fund Correct. which will beat indices. So my advice is just buy the nifty and nifty next fifty hmm. index funds and your large cap allocation is done. My God, that's as that's, simple as it can that be. That as simple as that. So seventy percent right. of your money is in large cap, because that's how the market is structured, by the way. Now, 20% has to be in mid-cap funds. Now, again, mid-cap, the regulation says that it should be investing 65% in companies with market cap from 101 to 250. Correct. Now, again, I believe getting differentiation among fund managers in mid-cap may not be that easy. Sure. So, pick one mid-cap fund. And then, if you pick two small caps, now just imagine this allocation, 35% nifty, 35% nifty next 50 Hmm. 20% 20% mid-cap, 5% small-cap 1, 5% small-cap 2. You got a complete representation of the market in your portfolio. Wow. It actually
0: took less than two minutes to understand. Yeah, So,
1: so I leave my thoughts with my investors and uh, let them then figure out what they want to do. Yeah. Now some of them come back and say, mujhe experiment we karna. So <laughs> yeah. then I tell them hai, wo jo 30% eighty percent we'll do this portfolio, twenty hmm. percent do whatever you want. You know, so it's a mutually thing that you build on yeah, yeah. and go ahead. So but we complicate our lives too much That's what, by overthinking. So go. we try to help people avoid that. Yeah, I'm sure you I like I told you,
0: sir, you have to podcast. Karna There's so much of experience that you've got. Honestly, you really need to do your own podcast. There's so much that we can, that all of us can learn. But this episode is a wrap. We only have so much time. I hope that you come back. You know, maybe after a few months, we we can do a follow-up episode and we can talk about a lot more things. But folks, that is a wrap on this episode. The Wealth Creation Special with Suraj Keli. Suraj is a mentor and a retirement specialist with Orteam Financial Services, a firm that specializes in retirement planning. And Suraj is also a veteran of the financial products in the industry. You've done mortgages, you've done mutual funds, you've done life insurance. So much to learn from him, sir. Thank you so much for coming over, doing this recording. And I hope our listeners have benefited from this interaction because I know that I have. So thank you so much for doing this for us.
1: Thank you very much, Anupam. And I wish all your listeners, you know, a great uh, retired life. Financially sound and uh, very fulfilling. A fantastic way to end the show. Thank you so much for listening.